Welcome to the Ether. Today is Monday, July 25th, 2022. Today on the Ether, the Jackal AMA, hosted by Cosmos Haas. Let's take a listen. Hey, Haas, how are you doing? What up, bro? Hey, haven't speaking, spoken to you in a while. How you been? I'm pretty good, man. I'm getting better. I'm starting to feel back, somewhat back to normal from, <laughs> from Texas, bro. Texas yeah. ruined, man. No, you, you were down bad for sure. That's a, yeah. You're having, yeah. you're having an issue for a while. What was it? Just a cold? I don't know. Like, I just uh, I wasn't, like, sick. It just had – I kept getting migraines and uh, just not really having that much energy and stuff and just, like, horrible, horrible migraines. Like, I've had migraines in the past. It'll just come come and go for, like, a day here and there. But it was just, like, every single day, like, just the worst migraines. So I would have to go, like, lay in a dark room just to not want to just, like – hurt myself <laughs> my head was killing me dude it was so brutal oh, and then yeah and then like my job in real life like, i got a tax account so like i'm staring at the computer all day and then then i'm still trying to like do crypto at the same time and and i also had like this horrible cough like i never get sick i had this ridiculous cough that would just never go away it was so frustrating and i beat the cough but i still like I don't know. My sinuses, like I, I've never had sinus issues. Now I got like sinus issues and stuff. It's been real frustrating, put it that way. Yeah, that, that sounds terrible. Well, hopefully today we're excited to talk a little bit about Web three, a little bit about all kinds of stuff. What's the uh, what's some things that are exciting you in the space right now outside of Jacquel? Have you been hearing anything cool? I know you've been having a bunch of spaces recently. Yeah, so like there's all kind of things go like develop wise, like uh, like say networks like a perpetual like order book. L1, it's like the, it's basically the fastest, it's going to be the fastest blockchain in Cosmos. And because they like altered the code, I had them on yesterday and and they were getting real high level talk with some things, but essentially the block time is like a second and um, it's super fast. They've been in testnet for quite a while, like two weeks or so now. And they did like over 7,000 transactions, I think 7,300 transactions and they all worked perfectly. And uh, like, I think the block time was like a second or whatever. So it's like super fast. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, they've been in talks with a couple teams. I know there are some rumors about a few applications on Solana, like more specifically with like fi- financial activity that are talking about coming over to Cosmos and, and uh, either adding on to them or just like creating their own uh, chain and, you know, the DYDX thing. And then, um, there's just all kind of different things going on right, right now for like specific uh, utilities. Like I know there's this one called ULAS. It's like this decentralized um, identity. That's it's a little bit different than what others are trying to do. And I'm trying to think who else uh, Aurora's coming over. There's just all kind of stuff going on right now. Like I just feel like it's going to be like this massive explosion of, of uh, chains and utility. And um, it's just the influx of new people are going to come over to, to Cosmos. 
Yeah, man. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting because Sony Network, I, I know the, the way that they're looking to get the block time down is through a rotating validator set. And I know that's something we've been looking at as well, a little bit of an alpha, not probably at launch. It would probably be a further thing. But there's all kinds of really cool stuff. Actually, Marson's up here. If you want to talk about ways to get block time down, I think that would be a really good way to open up. Yeah, what up, Marston? What's going on, brother? How's it going, man? No, not bad, man. I, I, uh, yeah. So, like, just to add to that before you do your thing, it was re- like right after I guys talked to you guys, you guys were in that hallway in, in Texas. I just started. It's not your fault. So I just got a migraine. I'm like, oh, I'll go back to the room. I'll be all right. No, no, it wasn't. I it basically got a migraine that just never went away. It felt like I had a concussion. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> you guys were like the last ones I really talked to in Texas, besides uh the Cosmos based team, and they could even vouch. Like I was like in my room the whole time after that, it's just by myself, like just like in a dark room basically it was it was brutal but i was so pumped um to get to hang out with you guys and and talk in person because you know we've been like going back and forth for for quite a while now and i'm super super stoked for what you guys got going on and um yeah but i'll let you guys let you do your thing about how you reduce the block time and all that yeah maybe your brain just exploded from our alpha that's okay (laughs) i mean it could have been i mean i'm not gonna (laughs) yeah man that's awful eh I, I get migraines every every like week or so, like once a week, and they knock me out pretty good. So I I can understand how you're feeling, man. That's that sucks so bad. Um, as far as like block times go, what we've been playing with is uh, a rotating validator set, which um, is it's it's looking like it's gonna be the way that things go. Um, with with networks coming out lately like i know uh sui or however you pronounce it is uh they're focused on that thor chain's got some rotating validators and it's really really cool because what we were looking at is like how do you secure a chain while keeping things fast right because like if you look at adam it's got like 150 validators and they're all trying to come to consensus at the same time and that that's just huge that's a huge set of computers all trying to agree on something so we were kind of like well how do we you know make it so that less have to come to consensus but still keep our keep our validator count really high to decentralize the thing and so we were what we were looking at is every like i don't know day or potentially like less time like even every hour we basically take like the top 20 validators and we rotate between who those 20 validators are. And then those guys have to come to consensus, which greatly reduces block times. Um, it's not really linear and we still have a lot of testing to do on that, but it's definitely something we're, we're aiming to have um, probably not at launch, but like definitely shortly after where our validators are going to be rotating and it's still going to be a delegated proof of stake. Like the, the regular cosmos networks tend to be, but, with that little twist and hopefully we can get our block times down like crazy, which is definitely good for things like sharing files. Yeah. I like that. I, I mean, I, we were talking, we were discussing yesterday. I mean, it's not that every chain has to be super fast. It all depends on what you're trying to do. Like what they're trying to do with uh, say network with like perpetuals and order books, obviously you, you need it to be fast uh, file, file sharing. Yeah. I would think you would want it to be pretty fast too. I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, if, the, the, what is it? The general rule of thumb is like the more validators, the potentially the slower the the network's going to be. Yeah, with us specifically, we we have a system where the validators themselves, or not the validators, but 
the storage providers. Um, in order to make sure that they're actually storing the files, they constantly are posting transactions to the network. So like, it's going to be adjustable by governance depending on how fast we actually want to set the bar. But these, uh, these transactions, like if there's 50 files being stored, uh, there's probably going to be an average of like one transaction per block just from proving that there's files being stored. Now, like imagine there's millions and millions of files being stored. Now you've got like thousands of transactions per second just on proving that data is there. So what we're really aiming for is trying to cram as many transactions as possible into an individual block which lets us get our network speed a lot. Like we, we, we could probably be comparable to something like Juno um, if we've sped up, but we'd be handling like way, way, way more transactions than Juno would be per block just because it's not users interacting with it. It's like our actual data providers posting so many, like so much data to the chain at any given time that we're definitely looking for ways to scale. It's a volume hack for Jackal, essentially. So we're going to have so much volume. It's going to throw, throw off all the metrics, but it's not going to be users. It's essentially going to be all the, uh, all the miners just proving proof of persistence, proving that they have it. Yeah. And, you know, I know you guys, we were talking, it's just like you were saying about the, over, I just, the, the overload of um, like information. And I know myself, I guess my body just had enough. Like I think that the heat had a lot to do with it, but then like I came back home and I still wasn't getting enough sleep and the migraines and everything else. So I kind of like forgot I was talking to Emery yesterday. I totally forgot you guys are going to be your own um, L1. If you wanted to talk about that, I know like initially, I don't know if a lot of people realize it, but initially you guys were just going to be an L2 and then, um, you know, you're going to be an L1. So like, I don't know if you want to touch on that. And then, what the difference is for people out there that may not understand what the difference between an L1 and L2, and then why did you guys kind of like decide to do that, so to speak? Yeah, Merchant, I'll let you unpack that, dude. Because uh, there's a bunch of different reasons. It's, it's the need for granular control over, because we're, we're product maxis where we want to have the best product possible, right? And for us to be able to do that, we actually have to start adding modules into the chain to streamline things. And I'll kind of let Marston speak to the different reasons why we decided to move to an L1 while still having a smart contract on the secret network. Yeah, yeah. So basically, the, the way our system's set up right now is kind of like, we like to call it an L1.5. So traditionally in like websites, you have your front end and your back end. And your front end is what a user is going to interact with, and then all the data and information is taken from the back end. So we kind of took that approach with Cosmos as well. So we've got our own chain, which is our L1 built on the Cosmos SDK. That's what we consider our back end. And then we have front end applications, and specifically our front end application on secret is what brings us privacy. So you can use our Jackal network completely permissionlessly. There's no interacting with any blockchain other than our Jackal blockchain, but that comes at the cost of you don't have privacy. So what we do is kind of have this interface of the secret network slapped on top of our network. And anytime somebody's interacting with our network, they're kind of going through the secret network, giving it that privacy element where you're encrypting your files before it's sent over. So basically we have our, our storage platform and then anybody else theoretically could build a front end for our storage platform. That would all be 
public information. So if you're hosting a website or something, you can totally do it there. But with our secret network front end, that gives us the ability to have granular controls about privacy, um, sharing data with other people, all that good stuff. That comes from the secret network front ends that we've built to handle all of the interactions between the user and our chain rather than them interacting directly with our chain. That's nice. Like, so I, I completely understand that. So I think you guys would technically be the first L1 and Cos- well, yeah, you would be the first L1 and Cosmos. Like what is, uh, when it comes to mining, like what's the difference? Like why do, instead of being a validator, why, why mine? Yeah. So we, we actually have two systems. One is being a validator. We still have validators. And then we also have our storage miners or data providers or whatever name you want to give them. We call them miners because that's what Filecoin calls them. And Filecoin um, is a huge inspiration for us. And so the idea is if you're a validator, you're securing the network, you're taking care of actually keeping track of data contracts, which is like, if somebody posts a file, they, they lock themselves into a contract where their account is being used by that space. And they kind of rent out their account to space that they themselves post, if that makes any sense. But essentially, the, the validators are what's actually securing the network. They're doing all the uh, delegated proof of stake. They're making sure that the user at any time knows where their file's being held. The miners themselves, they use the exact same software um, as the validators. The difference is they basically just flip a switch saying, I want to be a miner. This is how much storage I want to provide. Uh, this is the collateral I'm going to put up in case I you know, act maliciously. And then users will be able to discover that miner through the blockchain, which is again being secured by the validators. And uh, from that, they're able to go through the validators find a miner, they're able to ask that miner, hey, can you store this data for me? The miner, if the user is using the secret network privacy layer, they'll never know what the data is. So you don't have to worry about them seeing that. But they'll say, yeah, I'll store this data for you because I have space. And then they keep that data. The second the user signs off that they want that data stored on that uh, storage provider, it will. the chain will start basically creating like challenge periods saying, you need to respond within this amount of time to prove to me, the validator set, that you have the file. And then the file storage providers, the miners, they will constantly scan their directories, holding all the files, create a bunch of zero knowledge proofs saying, yeah, this is the file that I have, shipping it off. Uh, the validator set checks that that file is actually part of the file set that the user requested to be stored there. If that's the case, then the miners are rewarded by the validator set. And then the validators are rewarded in the same way that validators are traditionally rewarded with staking rewards. And to, to unpack this a little bit more, Haas, as well, well, you can kind of think of it as look at Jockel as a grocery store, for example. This is just going to be a huge analogy. Um, we need both people that are working the cash register and also people stacking shelves. So for the miners providing the storage, they're kind of storing it all on the shelves. And then we also need people keeping the ledger of who has what at what time. And those would be our accountants. And they're kind of built different ways where kind of the, the validators are a little bit more lean and they're kind of optimized for speed while the miners are optimized for storage. So they're just kind of two different computers built a different way for a specific use case. And we leverage both. 
Yeah, and I would assume like the people that don't want to necessarily run a validator, but they want to mine. Uh, obviously, they wouldn't ha- have to have a fast like rig. They would just have to have a lot of storage. Do you like if like say me for example? I'm like, you know what? I really want to do this. I want to make some passive. What would your re- like? I guess not. I want to say bare minimum, but like, what what would you suggest to make it worthwhile for the person that's on the other end, like space wise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, It kind of depends on your situation. So I know, like, myself, I've got, you know, old computers lying around that don't really do anything anymore. Now, if I was to hook those up, I'd be okay and not making a lot of money on them because they were just sitting there anyways. Um, If you're going out to buy a system that's a little bit different, you might want to invest a little bit more in one of those systems um, to recoup your investment quicker. The more storage you have, the better. But with more storage comes higher system requirements. So if you just want to run, say, like one terabyte, you don't need a super beefy rig. But if you're trying to run like hundreds of terabytes, then you're going to probably want to increase your RAM, your processor. So it, it all comes down to what you're actually after, what your what your um specific use case is so like as i say you can run it on a pretty bare bones machine i know like i'm testing everything on a macbook air and it is keeping up very nice and it's got like half a terabyte in there um it's storing data it's requesting it back like shooting it back pretty fast um so that's that's a super good just if you've got old laptops lying around you could probably wire them up um and earn a little bit of extra cash Whereas if you're going out to buy a big system, you're probably going to want to get something higher end. Probably like if you're running, I'd say, I don't know, 200 terabytes of like, well, I guess you can't really get a home system with that much storage and make it normal. But if you were trying to get like 10, 20 terabytes, then you're probably going to look at like, I don't know, a Ryzen 5 processor, 16 gigs of RAM, just a a standard gaming PC, I guess, without the graphics card. Um, and you're, you're probably good in that realm for a good uh, cost balance. But we'll, we'll have spec sheets because we still have to test everything, um, get down to the granular details of what machines run well, what machines don't run well. And as, as far as I can say, there's no real system requirements um, in terms of things like Intel, SGX, like secret validators have. You don't need um, SHA extensions like you'd get from like a Filecoin miner. So we try and keep it as as open as possible in terms of system requirements. So yeah. is it going to be real like simplistic for someone? They'll just like you guys will pro- provide like the the install. Like, hey, just install this, and this is how you do it. Yeah, um, it's it's going to be basically a a Docker image, which is essentially just a one-click install um you have to do a little bit of setup and you're going to be wanting to run linux to get the overhead of the rest of the system away but uh at the end of the day the docker install is probably going to be your best friend and we're, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for anyone and everyone to set up storage providers if they've got a system that they want to run in their closet yeah, and a, and a good place to ask questions about that would be our Discord. I know Aaron's uh, Aaron's up here speaking too. So if anyone wants to kind of go there and ask questions in the validator chat, 
that's where we'll give you the, the most updated information as it comes in. And in the early days, it'll be probably a little bit harder to get online, but as we continue to scale up, it'll get a lot quicker and a lot more user-friendly. I know Worker Bee's kind of been up here for a while. If you want to ask any questions, dude. Yeah, I was, I was going to have uh, B because I know he likes to mess around with all that stuff. And um, Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind as well because like, <clears throat> I built my wife a really good rig and uh it just kind of sits there you know so like i could just have it running and uh you know that'd be pretty cool because i think i put like a terabyte a couple terabytes and i i could just pop in an old um another old drive in there and all that just have it you know make some money with it because it just kind of sits there it's a really nice pc but yeah it'd be kind of cool but what up that's pretty, that's pretty cool uh it's going good nice um yeah, I, I use a lot of virtual machines, and so I've been like just installing Kepler onto virtual machines, and then accessing messaging apps, <clears throat> um, browsers. So I'm actually looking for storage. So it's like amazing you guys are doing this. It sounds really cool. The whole infrastructure. Do you guys happen to have redundancies? Like, what happens if you know I load my system up in my closet, I go on vacation, and this thing just like turns off? Um, and yeah. then me as a user coming by for my files, what's the security around that? Yeah, so we, we've been working on this problem a lot lately. And we, we have a very, what we believe to be a good system to handle this, where we're still constantly trying to improve. But essentially, a user um, posts the file, it gets spread to multiple miners. So it, it doesn't just hit one, which yeah. guarantees us multiple copies, right? But then we face the issue of like, oh, if all three or whatever the number is of miners go down, then, you know, file's gone. So what we've got going right now is a system where if the, sorry, if the storage provider fails to provide proofs, um, it fails to provide enough of them within a set amount of time, they lose the file deal. So that file is moved over to a new pile on the network saying, hey, these these files were, were canceled by the miner. We don't really know why, but they're here now and somebody needs to take them. On top of that, also, the the miner itself, some of its collateral gets slashed, um, which, you know, feels bad if you're if you're out on vacation, but it's it's definitely there yeah. to keep the network alive and well. Right. And it's then, part of the business. Yeah, right. So then those uh those files, the this the storage contracts that are sitting there on that pile kind of just homeless now because they've been kicked off their miners somebody else can come and take them and uh what's really cool about that is because we have it spread across multiple systems if the if the one system goes down the second they go down miners are going to be scanning that new pile and they're going to find something there they're going to go see hey these other two machines for example have this file because it's been duplicated across multiple systems i want to claim this deal and so I'm going to go, I'm going to grab that file off of another one of their systems. I'm going to download it. And then once I have that, I'm going to claim that, that storage contract from the pile. Yeah. And the second you claim that storage uh, contract, then it is now you that is submitting those proofs. And uh, same thing happens if you miss those proofs, then somebody else will take it from you. And what that oh, does cool. is it creates a really, really balanced system where you have to basically take out every single miner all at the exact same time for us to lose files. So like basically I have a terabyte uh terabyte of storage. It's on me to like fill that. 
And so I just look for deals. I fill it up as much as I can. Exactly. And then, yeah, if I'm looking for a deal, you know, I'm scanning the network looking for, you know, what's available. Yep. The more the more storage that you're providing to the network, um, the more you get paid. So it's definitely that's baked into our basic um, command line tool that runs everything. So your your machine will automatically scan that directory. Uh, oh, that's so cool. Broken contract deals, but there there is nothing stopping somebody who's a little more tech savvy from writing a custom client as long as it follows the standards that we've implemented. Um, you could have your own system running where you only take certain files or you you know time yourself differently. It it totally comes down to how you as a user want to set up your system. Uh, we put out what we believe to be a pretty good default. Uh, but there's definitely somebody out there that probably knows how to set this up better than us. Um, yeah, yeah. If that's the case, well, you can set up yourself, be a little greedy, or you can totally upload that to to our GitHub as a as a pull request, and you can share that with the world, and then we get a better protocol overall. Yeah, just, or if you're just like a professional too, you know, and you want to like customize to a certain aspect, like you know, that's that's real cool that you guys have that. Yeah, yeah, we try and make it as modular as possible. Um, if if there's anything we can do to improve the experience on the, our users, then of course that's that's in our best interest to take it because we want the network to thrive and grow as much as possible. Hey, did you guys just random thought? Did you guys meet and talk at all at OsmoCon? Not that I remember. No. Yeah, I don't think so. Say, yeah, I, yeah, he, he was definitely there. Yeah, a lot of secret was down there. You guys are all awesome. <laughs> I just thought of that. And as a shout out to B, I don't think I've verbally said this to you, but thanks, man. Like, so when I um, got wrecked that Thursday at OsmoCon, I went back to our house uh, with the Cosmo Space team, kind of locked myself away the rest of the evening and night. And then the guys had to check out. We all had to check out Friday. And then like Clay, we were driving around forever. Clay, um, dropped me off at the airbnb it was me b and, and uh, i can't have maybe it was but like beacon vouch for me i just locked myself in that room my own little room i had and uh he took care of me man you went to the store and grabbed me some gatorades and stuff you're like my savior bro because i couldn't i couldn't function i had the i i've been concussed before from football it literally felt like i was in a concussion for like two days it was yeah the worst, it was the worst yeah, experience no. i had it too and uh it just it's like a train hitting your head <laughs> i've never experienced that except for back when i used to play football like when i i couldn't even see like i even kind of had a little bit of blurry vision like it was just i don't know how that's even possible but yeah man it was just uh yeah it was weird cool. so shout out to you for t- helping take care yeah. of me because i was miserable um, b do you have an in and out on, at osmosis i'm sorry what are, are, do you do you work at osmosis i, I just saw yeah you. Okay, cool. Because that's another piece of the pie is, is when we're looking to launch the token, we're we're probably going to be doing something over osmosis. So I'll probably ping you as well relating to that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got documentations and stuff. It's all open source, and then um, just getting to the point of hosting it on Frontier. Um, I'll just get you in touch with the guy who does it. It's yeah. basically just request, and he does it. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, I was, was going to go. I was going to go into that. So like. The um, the only thing is, is like since you have the validator set, like, are they going to earn rewards? Kind of typical, like the block times. Like, how's that going to work? 
Yeah, we can open the floor to, I guess Marcin can answer that. I'll also open the floor to Emery, who's who's speaker as well, if, if you want to kind of tackle how rewards are kind of split between miners and validators, because we do have a lot to incentivize. So we, our econ has, has been, we've had Emery, we also have another guy that's been helping him out where we've just been focusing really heavily into how we can optimize the system to make sure everyone's properly incentivized as well. I'll let uh, Emery speak to that a little bit, if he's still here. <laughs> <laughs> If not, Marston, I'll, I'll let you tackle this, dude. Yeah, I mean, until Emery. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. You shut the okay, button, right? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the econ is a little complex at the moment, but uh, we're thinking that it'll work just the way we want to. So uh, basically, part of the yearly block rewards that are generated uh, by the network inflation is going to be... Uh, used to pay these miners. So uh, Marcin might be able to explain how the miners are paid exactly and when, because I'm not as tech savvy, but basically we'll have a pool and that pool is going to distribute those rewards to the miners appropriately. And uh, at the end of the year and adjusting for inflation, we'll have another pool the next year and the year after that to make sure miners are kept rewarded so that the network keeps staying up. Yeah, he's also talking about validators and how validators are rewarded. Yeah, actually, validators uh, are rewarded in almost the same fashion. We have uh, we have another pool for validators that are going to be uh, rewarded. So when we have uh, when we have the miners rewarded, we have the validators rewarded. I think uh, simultaneously. So um, we'll have a pool that's dedicated to the miners. And we have a pool that's dedicated to the validators. And it's actually neat about our network is that we'll have one of the few networks is actually going to have uh, an increasing APR for our for our audience rather than decreasing one over time. So uh, that's something rather unique and something we're able to get away with. Obviously, it won't scale uh that long forever uh when it comes to increasing but we expect our apr for the validators to increase uh, over the next three to four years nice so right now <clears throat> i'm technically because i know you guys you said you took inspiration from falcoin and then there's also store j and i'm kind of on their website just messing around while you guys are talking to so what's the uh, main difference between like jackal store j and falcoin yeah let's let's throw ar weave in there too so there's there's a fundamental differences between all of them. So I guess the most direct competitor to us would be StoreJ, but um, StoreJ they're one of the oldest protocols. We have a lot of respect for them. Um, I think Vitalik was on their board of advisors down in 2014, 2015. So so they're they're a really old protocol that we have a lot of respect for. Obviously, um, when it comes to the way that they use their hot storage caching layer and the way that they go to market, um, they cheated a little bit. <laughs> in the sense that uh, they use Google as a hot storage bridge. So gross. If they had, if I had the puke emoji, I would have just threw that out there, but yeah, it's gross. Yeah. So, so they were able to do something really revolutionary, but at the end of the day, it's, it's still a Google bridge. So with the, the text that they're kind of built into Marcin, you can probably talk to that a little bit as well, but at the end of the day, um, that, that's kind of like the state that they're in. And we think that we can do better with the tech stack that we have. So that's kind of why we're building this. And there's a host of other reasons of how we got here and the story behind that uh, associating with why we're so finicky for the details relating to digital evidence and courts and stuff like that. So let's, let's kind of move on to Filecoin. Filecoin's a really cool system if you're looking to archive and, and you're looking to kind of put stuff away into cold storage. Um, 
we have a lot of respect. We have a ton of respect for Filecoin and we like them a lot. And we think they have some really revolutionary software from IPFS to the way that they use CIDs, all that good stuff. But the issue with Filecoin is that it's a little bit too slow. Um, so if you're an end user that's looking to kind of deal with your files a lot and very quickly, um, you kind of have an issue there because sometimes it can take 24 hours for your files to get to you. So that was another reason why we wanted to kind of build this out is because, okay, we need a little bit more speed and we little, need a little bit more decentralization than we were getting from the last two. AR Weave is a little bit different in their own way where they kind of do something different, where they, um, they're trying to do storage in perpetuity. Um, what is storage? So they'll say, okay, you pay $6 a transaction and then you get your files, quote unquote, forever. What does forever mean? Um, Marston will get really technical on that. But when you get to the, uh, the, the point where drives only really last five to 10 years, um, sometimes if you're lucky, you'll get 20, but that's not really forever. And it's really hard to scale something like AR Weave. But what it is really great is great for archives. So there's no one really in the space right now that has the speed that we need to decentralize the storage layer that's being leveraged by Web3 right now. If you notice when Amazon goes out, so does all of Web3 for a weird reason. And this is kind of this market space that we're trying to really attack is to figure out how how can we decentralize that middleware? How can we decentralize that storage layer and still provide a similar user experience that is pretty close to as fast as, as the other options while still staying true to the core values that Web3 is when you relate to decentralization and, and also having that uh, ability to be resilient and speedy. So... I kind of knowledge dumped a little bit and I might have rambled a little bit, but if you have any questions from that, I, I think we can go from there. No, I mean, that was good stuff. So I know when I, I'm trying to remember you guys that initially set after, I guess the files were inactive, you would put them in archives. Initially it was three months. Did you guys change that or you're sticking with three or are you making it longer? Yeah. So what we're going to be doing and I'll let Marcia speak to this. So we were thinking about, three months, but we might just keep it forever as long as the deal's being paid from my understanding. Marston, if you want to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so we, we've kind of shifted a little bit. So it's not so much hot storage and cold storage anymore. We've upped the speed of what we call cold storage a lot to the point where it's almost comparable to the hot storage. So really the only thing here now is, is the difference between it being stored on solid state drives and it being stored on spin disks which those two things are very different in in a kind of micro scale but when we're looking at most people's internet speeds most of the time you're not usually going to be dealing with data that is being sent over the internet that is taking full advantage of even a hard drive so for certain applications we're definitely going to have the option for miners to post proofs more often which they will really only be able to meet if they are storing it on solid state drives. But generally, most of your data is now stored in what we call our cold storage. But it's not so much cold storage anymore. It's, it's about as fast as the hot storage that we used to have was. So ideally, we have a, we have a really nice, fast system where unless you're doing really high-level speed-required transactions on our network you're going to be generally using the the basic package and it's going to be a little bit more specialized to get that hot storage um 
but the price doesn't change with that. Uh, we're, we're, we're still just confident in, in the technology that's backing it and a lot of improvements have been made. So we can worry less about hot and cold storage and just call Jackal hot storage. <laughs> and the, the other thing with that is, is when you're looking at, so I have gigabit internet here, I, I believe in my house and even those, those kind of, um, spin desks as Marston was referring to, we can still get your data to you faster than your internet can possibly register it anyways, right? So the limiting factor that we started to realize is actually the end user's internet <laughs> rather than the, the speed that we can get it to you. So we're able to provide the same as uh, comparable speeds to pretty much anything on the market. It'll be a little bit slower just because it's end-to-end -end encrypted. But at the end of the day, um, we're able to decentralize that middleware and, and provide a pretty close experience to your AWS S3. Nice. So I know one of the things I really liked um, that drew me to you guys initially was the fact that, you know, like say my computer, I don't have any files are on it, but I just wanted to send all my files and end-to-end -end encrypt it. It's so cool that, each individual file gets its own essential private key. And then like, if I was a company, I could say, okay, this file and these ones we can share with like this group of people. And then, okay, well, I'm the co-owner. Let me share the rest of these with just the other co-owner. And like, you can differentiate, you know, which is like, to me is really useful for everyone, especially businesses. And you can just get on the list of different types of uh, sec, you know, whatever sort of uh, business sector you're in, pharmaceuticals, health industry, um, law enforcement, just like whatever, essentially. So like, that's what I always liked about this because it's just so practical on like any level, whether I'm just like, I want to have my own files on my computer and not have to worry. Like if someone got into my computer, they can just easily see all my files. Like, okay, they got into my computer, but then like, good luck after that, you know? So like, I really like that fact of it. And that, that's so applicable to the companies and, and, and entities because, you know, like everyone now they sign up for all this crap. And then they sign up for it and then they, their social security numbers are everywhere on all these web two different uh, applications and websites. And then they get hacked and now all your information is out there for, for anyone to see, you know? And like, I, I think that this, in my opinion, it doesn't maybe necessarily look at, you know, it's not going to spruce up like a lot of people that are already in this space, you know, like that want to NFTs and do all this degen and stuff, but really like to me, this is really vital to bring over people, you know, in other industries, like their lawyers and their doctors and their, you know, they have these, their own firms and stuff like that. Because, I mean, what are they using now for the most part? You would think probably like AWS and all that type of stuff. But I mean, really, it's not really secure. So, I'm yeah. It's not really secure. It's also not private. And there's a lot of crazy things happening. I know we have this issue in Canada where you have all these rules where um, you, you can't share data with third parties. But it's the, the truth of the matter is, is that almost always when you're dealing with cloud storage, there's a third party that has always access to that data. And when you have access to that data and data is also free flowing, uh, being bought and sold for different use cases, and there's not really great controls around it. Um, you have this kind of very dangerous situation where we have 14 billion 
compromised credentials just sitting out there on the open internet. And that would be your usernames, phone numbers, emails, passwords, real names, stuff like that, just purely from data breaches. Um, if I remember correctly, I think Twitter got hit in early January and they just got announced recently as well, where all your phone numbers and stuff is just, these are all the credentials that are used for you to access your online life. And we think that it's a lot better of a situation. And this is kind of the beauty of blockchain technology is like we're starting run the infancy of this kind of stuff. But when you start to think about things like self-custodial data storage, um, it opens a crazy door of possibilities for things like Fiverr-like marketplaces or the ability to have professional service deliverables delivered on chain through paywalls where the data is shared with you once you pay uh, for the ability for you to be self-custodial of I want to say brain interfaces and things like that when you have, um, as we start to get more and more involved with your actual physical interface and the amount that we're spending online, you have to kind of ask yourself, like, hey, where's all this data about myself going? And there's these data brokers out there that there's all kinds of stuff. But what we think is, is if you're able to be self-custodial of all of your data um, when you're accessing these different applications or just living your everyday life, um, it's kind of empowering in its own interesting way where you can monetize your own data if you want to monetize your own data, but we're not going to be doing it for you because until now, there hasn't really been a situation out there where we can't, <laughs> where there, you have like this self-custodial situation where we can't even access your data if we wanted to. It, it's, it's truly your data um, at the end of the day. And it's an interesting thought process of how we got here and what we can do with this information. Sorry, not this information, this technology. And moving forward where you can have ways that you interface with different applications where you can still maintain custody of your stuff. You can think about organizations, the way that you can have Adobe sign. I guarantee you, um, Adobe is not going to come and testify in that court case, but you can have this fully provable on-chain signature, for example, things like decentralized identities, things like all of these different things that we can start to actually truly embrace Web3 for what it's used for and what it could be really useful for. And uh, as I continue to ramble here, we start to think about the the different ideas of our capabilities when it comes to, I, I, I want to say... There, there's, there's so many things that are just jumping around in my head right now. I know you're about to talk, Haas. I'll let this come back to me. I uh, I got something to chime in with. Yeah, yeah, um, so one number one use case immediately that I think of with this, um, I was talking to my dad. My dad's got an office downtown in my city, and it's not in the best area. He literally has like a big metal bar door over the door just in case someone breaks in. So his all of his equipment in there for his office is like, you know, insured the biggest risk factor because he doesn't care. He's like, if someone comes in and steals it, I'm getting new equipment. So the biggest risk factor is that the data on his equipment then, you know, but nine times out of 10, the guy's not going to care, but still like some guy might dig in and try to get passwords or, you know, schedules on his work and this kind of like sensitive data. And so immediately I'm thinking of, you know, get him a computer, have him put his file storage on the blockchain. And then he's got the Ledger Nano to be the key to access. So those guys break in, steal the computers. They just have no access to that data. It's not actually there. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of in our ethos, and I'm really glad you brought this up relating to um, secure backups for your data or ransomware backups for your data. There's a bunch of cool things that we can kind of unpack yeah. here. Is 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 number one? Um, this is probably the highest cybersecurity posture possible you could have, and you could also create a situation with your dad where you, your 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 mom or aunt and your dad all have a multi-signature wallet that control that root folder in case of emergency, kind of break glass situation, right? But the the other cool thing is this is kind of an opportunity in in a, in a weird way as well, where you start to look at. From my understanding and how I kind of have my ethos around how do you do business development and how do you get more people onto blockchain technology? And I truly believe that the way to do that is going through the office. If you have a great solution, whether it's just a purely a ransomware backup or we start to evolve into um, a different applications that are built on top of Jackal for your office use cases, if you look back to through the history of time and you look at how the computer started to become at the home, all computers were first in the office and then people started wanting them for their houses because they were cool and they were helpful, right? So we, we think we can kind of do something similar where we start off with ransomware backups, B2B use cases, get everyone to increase their digital privacy and cybersecurity posture through having multi-signature wallets or just one access point through a ledger. And then get those people on board. And from there, you can start to build up really cool applications and, and start to kind of live a more cyber secure life in that way, if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. Um, especially just using Cosmos tech. I like I, I got a new laptop. I completely gutted it. And then I just started putting Linux on it. And now I only really have Cosmos tech on here. And so the entire thing, I just signed in with my ledger. It is like the best feeling in the world not to have to remember passwords and stuff. Yeah, one hundred percent. And that, that's that's the really cool thing about the the thing that really caught my eye when when I started working in blockchain is not the not how cool like all the decentralization stuff like that, but the cool thing to me was the access credentials and how you get access to this this wallet, for example, where you have like these public and private key pairs. The cool thing about that is when you have this ability to not need to have a username, not you need to have a password, no emails, no phone numbers, you reduce all the attack vectors for cybercrime. So when, when exactly, only, yeah, when the only way in and out is a ledger or a public private uh, a private key essentially to to sign those transactions or to access that account, you just exponentially increase your cybersecurity posture relating to um, just the security of your business. And, you know, and you could be anywhere in the world, too, because now blockchain is just like running globally. You know, those like Internet cafes could just be empty shell computers and you just run over. You know, someone calls you, there's something going on with the office, run over to one of these, plug your ledger in, you know, access all your files, all your computer, do the job, disconnect your ledger. Boom, done. Like, no, no one's ever going to see those files again. It's just completely secure by you. It's it's pretty awesome when you start to think about that, and we start to blue sky a little bit, and we do this uh, between our, our ourselves every Monday basically as well. Where you start to think of it, really cool stuff like that, um, and the ability to have these access credentials. Um, the other cool thing about now, when you start to think about business use cases and leveraging that ledger for um, access controls, for example, for that use case, it's kind of like a root folder. But imagine having an organization where. Now, the cool thing about the way that Marston built Jackal, and I'll let him talk to this, is how you can have granular permissions as well, where you can have multiple people operating on the same root folder. 
Mercy, if you want to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the the initial goal with with Jackal, especially for the um, the secret network front end, was to have these granular permissions, Patrick saying. And what that kind of means is we start off every user with with just the root folder. It, it's basically just their address with a folder in it called home. Every user's got one. It it, it keeps us. Um, stable it makes sure that everybody's kind of on the same page but on top of that what you can do from there is you can add multiple folders inside those folders you can build full organization trees where you have like 50 percent of your workforce all under one folder and then in that folder every single person in that workforce has their own folder in there um i know like schools uh they have folders where teachers provide like handouts in these folders. Um, it keeps it really clean, and all that stuff can be done from Jackal with with assist, with read and write permissions. There's ownership permissions, which essentially lets us post a file. We can give anyone in the world read permissions uh, if if you want to let them access it and do whatever they want. You can give them write permissions. Uh, you can give them ownership permissions so that they can also start adding people to the list of read and write permissions. And it goes down to whatever you need them to do. And if you are somebody that has a higher permission level, you can kick them out at any time, which is really, really great. If somebody, you know, you get rid of an employee, you can now kick them out. You can get rid of all of their stuff. You can make it so that they can't access their folder anymore while you keep everything inside it nice and safe. On top of that, we also have version control so that if somebody does go kind of haywire, you can revert everything that they've done and it's all good. And so those things all added together give us this really, really awesome system of uh, a, a system where we can have anybody access anything at any time. And it feels more human, I guess, where I don't want everyone to see everything I have, but I do want people to see some things. And I can totally do that where some of my folders are public, some of them aren't. Uh, I don't have to spread myself across Google Drive, Google Docs, and then throw other things up on Facebook. I could technically build a social media platform where all my posts are just files in this folder. And it's stuff like that that we can really play around with in going forward. Um, something that we're already dealing with right now is, is a web gateway where you make files public. And once they're public, people can view those files directly in the web browser, which makes it really, really nice. Every user account comes with a www folder, and anything in there paired with our name service will direct you to that folder, um, depending on what name service, uh, sorry, what name you've registered on the name for name service. And that gives people the ability to host full static websites just inside Jackal natively, which is really, really cool. And we only get that from the permission system. So I just I just thought of something because since I was going to a little pivot a little bit since we were kind of talking about the token before, like the Jackal token. Since you're technically not an L two, that's not it's not going to be a SNP twenty anymore, right? No. So the, there's there's two things we can do here, right? It's we still want to maintain our our I guess our, our truthfulness to the ability to have privacy, and and privacy is a really big thing, and it's one of our core values. So what we're able to do is since we're a native token, we're able to actually wrap it back into a SNP20 if you want that SNP20 version as well. Um, so what we're able to do is, is the reason why we actually have this now native token. 
So we can make sure we have that token everywhere we need it to be at any time. So it gives us a little bit more flexibility. Natively, it's not private at this current time, but what we can do in the meantime is we can wrap it back into a SNP20 if you're looking for that privacy. I like that. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so like what is your timetable? You know, I give it like a specific date, but whenever like the chain's going to go live and the actual jack and the jackal token will be out there for, for people to purchase. If everything works well, we're looking at next month. Okay, cool. And then, um, you know, I just always ask this question. I, I I don't care, but I know people ask me. I've seen even when I posted that I'm going to be doing the show, some people even in the comments were like, hey, when airdrops? <laughs> like, are you going to do an airdrop before? Like, what what's your what is your go-to plan to get, like, the Jackal token uh, to have enough, enough liquidity, so to speak? Yeah, so, well, let's talk about airdrop first. So I know Marston can speak to this as well, but I think if I if I get this correct, um, as soon as we launch the chain, we actually have a mint module built directly into the blockchain. So it'll actually distribute it as soon as it's launched. So as soon as we click go on Skynet here, uh, you'll have your tokens. Um, I know that secret, we're going to have to get those guys to click claim because uh, they don't really share the same... Um, I want to say chain ID as as the other blockchains. So they, they have one extra step, but uh, everyone gets their tokens as soon as we launch. Uh, when it talks about liquidity, so uh, we, we studied probably, I want to say about 100 different public sales and, and how those went. And usually when you do a public sale, it's just an act to kind of raise capital to provide your own liquidity. So what we're looking to do here is we're actually just going to provide our own liquidity right out of the gate. So you're able to purchase your, your tokens. Hopefully we can provide liquidity both on Osmosis. Um, we also have a automated market maker built directly into our blockchain. Uh, I can let Marston speak to why we would do something like that since we're not an AMM. Um, that's not really what our focus is as a company. We do data storage, but we needed that so we could get a native price for the cost of storage without using an oracle which can act as a cybersecurity vulnerability so that's kind of one thing so we are providing our own liquidity um but we're also providing the world with an arb opportunity as well because we have this swap function built directly into the chain so if you're an arb guy out there feel free to leverage our spot where you can get a spicy arbitrage if you would like <laughs> other than that um does that answer your question there Haas? Oh yeah, and then you know, I guess the only add, to add more comment to that is, did you guys come up with like a defined total finite supply, or how's that going to work? Yeah, so so Jackal's going to launch at 100 million tokens. Um, only about five and a half percent of that will be liquid, so the rest will be locked in vesting schedules, locked in the community um, pool, locked uh, with all kinds of different things. And then from there, those will kind of slowly be drip fed over, I want to say, uh, two years for investors, four years for a team and advisors, where you're kind of locked in that um, vesting schedule to make sure that no one dumps on you guys right out of the gate and make sure that all that is safe. Um, other than that, when it comes to, um, I, I want to say, what was the question again? I just completely no, got no, you're, you're, you're good. I was just basically adding, like, did you guys come up with, like, a finite supply? So 100 million yeah. off, off the bat. Do you have a max supply or is it like that? That's only the, that's the amount. That's total. 100 yeah. million. So we, we come through a theoretical maximum around 400 million. Um, so if you look at our econ paper and you start to kind of dissect, there's a lot going on there. And uh, it's pretty intense because we have so many things that we have to incentivize. 
but it's kind of like a, a reverse log model where it starts off with really heavy inflation and then it kind of starts to taper off around the 400 million mark. Um, the reason why we did that is because we need to have an inflationary token because if it was purely deflationary, we'd run out of tokens to incentivize miners. Um, whether that's in 10 years or 20 years, we kind of want to be sustained in perpetuity. So if you look at the econ model, you'll notice that it has this theoretical cap of 400 million tokens. And it's very unlikely that it would ever cross that um, within like the first like 30 years of us being a protocol. Nice. I'll have to check that out. I haven't, I haven't looked at the actual tokenomic part of that yet. So that's cool. Yeah, it sounds good, man. I, I like everything I heard. I'm, I'm like I said, that's exciting because this is going to be the first opportunity for people in Cosmos. Like, if they just want to try to make some passive by mining, they can, you know. So, and you know, mining's really not computer intensive as, as long as you're not like, hey, I want to do 50 gig, you know, I want to do 50 terabytes or something. But it should be pretty chill for just like the average person. So that's yeah, cool. especially in the early days, man. Like you could probably boot up an old laptop and make it make a significant amount of chocolate tokens, right? <laughs> yeah, man, that, that's what I mean. Like I have so many computers that are just like sitting or doing nothing with them. I could just load them all up and just let them do, <laughs> just get some work, man. Get them yes. some burn, you know. So that's we pretty want, cool. We want as many people to hook up computers as possible, um, just because the more computers we got hooked up to the network, the more data we can store. So. That is the the goal is to kind of reach that petabyte scale eventually, which is the hope. So, like, are, like, are, are you or someone on your team? Or are you trying to do like customer acquisitions with like companies? Because I know like what you guys are offering. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to show you guys, but I mean, essentially, it's just vital for everyone to get on board because, like, why would you want to store your data like the way it is right now? It's just a terrible. There's no, it's it's essentially the worst solution ever. Is if you're using you know centralized entities and you're storing it on the cloud and you're like on aws or you know google or whatever like it's just the worst way of storing data right now like for everyone and there's so much data like data is not going to end it's going to just keep increasing and uh, you know these companies and these entities and hell i mean even like i would just assume I don't know. I've had government experience. I'm not even sure how where, where they where, where they would even what, what they're using. You know what I mean? Like it just has to be useful for everyone. Yeah, um, it, it really depends on which agency. A lot of them just would still use AWS, and, and most times, some some agencies run their own servers. But that's kind of arguably less secure because now you have this vulnerability, which is an attack vector because everyone knows that you're not on AWS too, right? So the this interesting uh, ability for us to, when it comes to this, you're, you're looking for us to show like, how are we going to market for a B2B perspective? That's really long sales cycles. It's a lot of personal interactions and, and trying to gain trust and, and trying to hold their hand over this web 2.5 bridge into uh, the, this, this crazy world that we call web three. So a lot of that is a lot of handholding. It's a lot of managed services as well. So they can still leverage that high security and privacy posture without sacrificing that ease of use that they're used to. So it's, it's a learning experience. It's one step at a time with them. Uh, when it comes to the business, a customer product, which as soon as we launch, that's all marketing. That's let's let's get out the gate and start running. If anyone wants to use right now, if you want to go test it out, not all the um, options are available for what you can do with the files, but a lot of them are. If you want to kind of go to, I think it's beta.jackaldow.com. Uh, you should be able to access that 
open beta where you can start dragging and dropping files, see how you like it. You have to claim your testnet tokens, and we have a few YouTube videos of how you can do that. So it's kind of a two-pronged approach. It's We have really long sales cycles on one side with the B2B, but on the other side, when it's a B2C, that's just about viral growth and, and getting people to kind of have that that the ability to be self-custodial of your stuff and be a little bit empowered and make sure that you can your data can be your data essentially that's one way so yeah i, I guess another a good way of doing it would be just to do all these conventions because i know when i was at the permissionless event with osmosis it was three days and on the third day it was every like it, it kind of died off but everyone that did come by were literally web two people you know, people that knew about a little bit about crypto, they didn't really understand how it works, but they're like, hey, we're just trying to be on the forefront of this. Like I talked to multiple lawyers, um, accountants, like just all kind of people that were like, look, we're, we have a firm. I even, I even got offered a couple of jobs and I'm like, nah, I'm all right right now, but I'll keep you in mind. Uh, but yeah, I mean like that, I would feel like that's probably a good way too, because, you know, that's just, they want, they want to get in. And, you, you know, that's to me, I don't know. I don't know necessarily at the, the central. I seen a lot of traditional people there that were like, it seemed like more like just young, a younger crowd for the most part. So I'm not sure you guys maybe you, you may know a little bit more than me because we really were just kind of walking around and doing different things. But it, I'm sure you guys probably had some Web2 people stop by. Well, it, it depends on, on what conferences you go to because we've been going to a lot of them, right? <laughs> so, so some of them, if, if you look at anyone that's run by Blockworks, whether it's permissionless or uh, I think it's D, I think it's Digital Asset Summits, the other two that they have, one in London, one in New York. Those are kind of like the traditional white collar, like ties kind of situation where it's kind of like they're trying to dip their toe into what is Web3. And those guys are really important as well because they – we want to kind of decentralize that middleware and get as many people as possible into a more secure and, and more um, privacy resilient infrastructure as well. Right. So those, that's one side of things. Uh, then there's Decentral and that's for all of us that are, that are the fun loving web three guys that are a little bit degen, but we like to have a good time as well. So you'll get used to that there at, at Decentral. Um, like the ETH events, like ETH Denver, ETH Toronto, those are kind of middle of the road where you have both sides of the fence. It, it's a little bit of um, TradFi trying to dip their toes in. And there's also a bunch of uh, guys like us running around as well. Um, so it just really depends what event you go to, right? It's, uh, they're, all, they're all always fun. As long as, if anyone's ever not been to a conference, please go to a Web3 conference because you get to learn so much stuff from all kinds of cool guys doing different things as well. Yeah, exactly. Like I, always, I, I said that all the time on the show, like, if you haven't been to one, you just kind of have to go to one. And even if you don't want to dox yourself, I mean, you can, no one knows who you are. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you could just go and just be whomever you want to be. Like, <laughs> it's not like, you know, uh, hey, well, they're going to know me. Like, no, nah, I mean, unless you want to tell people. I mean, you, a lot of people are just PFPs, you know. It's like they don't know what your face looks like. So you can just go. And, yeah, it's a great way to meet people. And especially during the uh, bear market, it's really good because everyone that's there wants to really be there. Like they're not there because the market's pumping. They're there because they, they believe in it. They understand it. They, uh, w they want to learn more or collaborate more. So it's just really good opportunities. I mean, I got to meet a lot of people at the uh, permissionless event and really that was just kind of like an ETH spinoff. I mean, really there was no IBC people there like osmosis. We were like the only ones. And then some teams like, yeah, Kosh and, 
stargaze they were kind of lurking around and a couple other teams but for the most part it was just all like ethereum and solana avax and but the the central was mainly all ipc and which was really cool but yeah you definitely have to go to one because it, it can it can do a lot for you i mean it depends on what you're doing i mean if you're a builder definitely you need to go to one of those or you know just go and uh you, you never know what it'll lead you to so for sure yeah. but yeah man i got to meet you guys and we're i know the space team we we definitely want to in the future have like a, an event whether it's another cosmoverse or whatever and actually have it in america and probably in vegas because so you can get a direct flight to vegas from essentially anywhere doesn't matter where you live at and it's they and vegas usually takes care of you like the uh flights are always cheap i guess they do something to keep the che- the flights so cheap to get people out there but yeah, I think that would be a good move to have more events specifically for Cosmos because I envision this thing getting so big. And um, if you're a builder or a team, a small team, especially, like, why would you want to go anywhere else? Like, you just just plug in, you know, plug into co- Cosmos and do your thing. So, if yeah, you ever hosted a conference, I'd be there in two seconds. It's- <laughs> Hell yeah, bro. It would definitely be in Vegas, too. Like, you know, it's just because, like, I feel like, well, obviously, Vegas is amazing. But, like, it's just I've been all over the place, and you can get a direct flight to Vegas. I feel like from anywhere. Like, every major airport, you can get a direct flight to Vegas. Like, it doesn't matter. Even if you're in a small city or a small place, like, I feel like Vegas is, like, a direct flight, like, almost nearly everywhere. So, that would be awesome. 100%, man. Anyways, um, if anyone has any questions feel free to come up if not we're probably going to shut this down pretty soon um feel free to raise your hand and come on come on up if you have any questions or if not and you want to type them out feel free to uh either dm us directly or go to the discord uh that's kind of where we bounce back and forth with the community and it's kind of the best place to get all that good information yeah man shout out to everyone that stopped by like I like I try to tell everyone this is this is essential for it's something that no one ever talks about too. Like you can get around and people are talking about and it's more about you know like NFTs and all that type of stuff, which is cool. And I always say like the next wave of of people coming over, you know, it's it's definitely like play to earn. It's it's music. It's uh, NFTs, but also data when it comes to real. Um, like r- real utility for companies and, and entities like data, like end to end encryption and them to feel safe and secure of actually having their, a com- complete control of their data. Like this is definitely super useful. And um, yeah, I just don't see like why you would want the risk. Like if you have all these like pertinent documents and like everything, I mean, even hell, you can use this for like, you know, a will and a state, anything it could be stored on there and uh, like you were saying too before which people don't really get is that you can have a multi-sig you know for for anything so like it's just a it's an amazing opportunity utility for data it's like a different wave and it's cool to see it to be honest with you so yeah we're talk, talking about wills too an interesting thought process and um, of what we can do with um time release where if if you for example if you got hit by a bus tomorrow you could also figure out a situation where after a certain amount of time um all your files can be sent to someone that you choose for them to be sent to as well which is an interesting thought and uh i I would never 
store your private keys digitally or type them into a computer um, unless it's going directly into a wallet address. But theoretically, if you could store private keys on Jackal and it's deemed safe enough to do so, an interesting situation can happen where after a certain amount of time and you don't renew uh, the time release, those private keys can be sent to anyone that you choose, which is an interesting thought as well. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That'd be cool because my wife, she's always like, oh, you know, I need to know all this stuff because if anything ever happened to you, you know, that'd be super cool. Like I could just store everything and be like, look, this, you know, this is how you get it. And now all everything would be there, you know, because I always do kind of feel sketched out like having, I mean, it's good. It's good practice to have it offline. You obviously don't want to save your your seeds or anything like on your computer, even if you're real secure. Like I'm, I have everything encrypted, but um you know i just i i always get kind of sketched out like oh i got like this i got my private key or or my seed phrase and you know it's written down like well if you know whatever what happens if something ever happened you know it's like it's good to have it offline but it'd be cool to have it um you know so if anything ever happened like i just had to get up and go it's like okay well it's technically on on the blockchain encrypted no one can get it and uh, i never even thought of that you can have like a time expiration like after so long you know, it's automatically going to do that. And then maybe you can have it almost like a subscription, so, so to speak, where it's like you have it set in advance. Like, hey, after one year, I want all this data to be sent exactly here. And then you can go back in there and say, you know what? I don't want it to be a year. I want it to be, you know, another year or whatever. Like, it's kind of a cool idea that I never even thought of. Yeah, it's kind of like a, 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 a I want to say seat belt for your, for your Web3 life. The only issue is that we have to figure out the best way to get that information into Jackal, right? Because we can always speak to the security of of Jackal in itself, but we can't speak to the security of your own personal device, right? So we don't know if you have ransomware, or not ransomware, malware on your device, for example, or we can't really speak. We don't know if you've updated the firmware on your router. Um, probably most people right now are saying, hey, you can update your router. Um, but like things are along those lines. Yeah, actually touch on that, like to people. Cause yeah. I mean, that's probably something that no one ever, I mean, honestly, probably no one ever does. So like, what happens if you had like a Ryzen modem, right? And it's connected to your PC. Do you still need to update your modem? Yeah, well, it really depends, right? So uh, before in my previous life, before I went into the web, the whole jump two feet in the blockchain tech, um, we would secure organizations and VIP clients that are like heads of businesses that get targeted a lot by um, different threat actors, for example. So the the interesting thing is is it's also kind of when we started to migrate into this work from home environment where people would take their devices from the secure places that would be the office that gets their cyber security audits done all the time back to their house and when this happened we had a huge spike in just breaches ransomware malware going on computers people getting access to emails people sending fraudulent invoices being sent out so there's all kinds of these different attack vectors, whether it's your modem at the house, which is a possibility where you can get malware onto the, the router itself. Um, but mostly 99% of the time, if I'm being completely honest with you, it's all human error um, of, of how a cyber attack happens. And a lot of the time is usually a social engineering, cyber phishing situation where you get fooled. The same thing that happened to Yield, Yield Games, right? Um, it, it's just things that with your everyday life, some threat actor thought it was a good idea that, okay, I'm going to apply for a job and I'm going to embed malware into the PDF for my job application. Things like that is, it's, it, it makes it very, very difficult to kind of get around stuff like that. But 
what we can do with something like Jackal is we can increase the security posture as high as possible by only way in and out of your data is that private key. And uh, depending on how securely you store that private key determines on how your data storage is. So, But when it comes down to it, security is always a sliding scale. So the more secure you are, the more it sucks to use it, right? Usually. So if you want to be super secure, we're talking like multi-signature wallets around um, a, a few key stakeholders that access that root folder. So that's one thing. But if you're comfortable with a little bit less security, maybe it's just one ledger um, that accesses that. If you want a better user experience, maybe you just have auto-approved transactions on and you kind of like delegate things around uh, properly to make sure you have super secure storage. And you have like this kind of hot storage, I guess, layer where it's just auto-approved transactions. So there's all kinds of different things, right? And Cybersecurity comes down to what are you most comfortable with is, is how secure can you be without it driving you nuts is usually how you have to approach clients all the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, even in, even in this space, you know, it's like always a pain in the ass connecting ledgers to like a new update a lot of times or a new chain. I mean, look at Evmos. It, it basically had to get uh, halted specifically because of uh, like the ledger issues. Like it was ready to go. And then a ledger issue. Yeah, so, like, I, I totally get that. Like, being really secure and having, like, everything encrypted right now is kind of a pain in the ass. It's, like, it, it's good to do it, but, like, you're saying, like, the the more the more you, like, it, secure everything, the more annoyance and, and the less customer experience it is. It's, like, if you just, like, don't do any of it, it's, yeah. Yeah, you have to kind of try to find a good balance right now. But yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to hold you guys up. I just, I didn't, even, I didn't even really think of that. Like, you need to update your firmware on your on your router. Um, yeah, people never talk about that. Ever. I, I don't think anyone's ever done that before. But it is a thing that you're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's like I don't think I've. I don't even know the last time I've done that. It's been a long time. But I mean, I have. I my shit's pretty good. Like I make sure. But yeah, you're right. Like people out there listening. You know, don't be just clicking random links. I, I I always personally use the malware bytes. It's cheap. I just have that running all the time. It it does find shits from time to time because I get a lot of stuff. People, you know, people sending me stuff and it finds shit all the time. Like I wouldn't say all the time, but randomly it'll be like, we found this file. We're gonna court. You know, they basically quarantine it and then I delete it. And then uh, I use that virustotal.com or whatever it is. Like if I'm someone sends me a link to go on a website, I always throw that up in there. I'm sure someone probably can still backdoor somehow, but I always throw that up in my computer too. Yeah, no, Firestool is good. Malwarebytes is the bomb too. Um, usually the best antivirus device perspective is always going to be the open source antivirus softwares, but they're a pain to use and you have to use them from the CLI. Um, but <laughs> other, other than that, Malwarebytes is the bomb. But like when it comes to cybersecurity, uh, just kind of from an overreaching the goal, it's a defensive game, right? So you just want to make yourself not low-hanging fruit because usually the threat actor will just hop on to the next person because there's so many different attack vectors out there. So if you make yourself a little bit annoying or even just specifically using a product like Jackal, um, you reduce pretty much all the attack vectors down to that private key. So that's the beauty of, of leveraging a system like this. It's, it's a high, heightened security posture by default while still hopefully trying to maintain that ease of use as well. Hey, I was a little curious um, about the privacy aspects because, you know, you're getting the, the security, the blockchain and stuff, but most of the privacy comes from the secret chain. And then you guys are going to have your own back chain or you're going to have your own chain on the back end. 
Uh, so how is the privacy going to overlap and, and how is that going to look from an outside perspective? You know, yeah, I'll hearing into my stuff. Yeah, Marston can unpack that the best. Uh, it kind of relates to your encryption keys being leveraged in the private metadata. Yeah, so as far as um, the interaction between the, the privacy layer and, and our chain specifically, essentially you have some sort of client, whether that be a JavaScript front end that you're using on the web or it's an SDK that we're coming out with, um, either of those things will basically bring everything together for you without you thinking about it. And what that means is the secret network is where we store every file's information. So if you post a file, essentially your local machine encrypts that file first. Then that file, after it's encrypted, is shipped off to our network. So our network stores things, quote unquote, publicly, but with it being encrypted before it ever goes there, which means that the miners themselves, the storage providers, are never going to actually see what your data is. Um, and so with that, then we take the location of that file on our actual blockchain, pair it with the uh, encryption keys, and then we store that in the secret network. So the users themselves are interacting with the secret network, and then they send data that they keep themselves on the secret network to our network in kind of a separate workflow, but still blended together through our front ends. And what that does is it keeps our chain completely separate from secret. Um, so there's no, you know, issues with the overlap there. You're no waiting on bridges. Um, and from there, you're able to still have that privacy on one, on one side of things that manages what you're actually looking at. And then on the other side, you have our chain for which is kind of the ease of use layer where things are a little more private, but because you're encrypting everything, sorry, a little more public, but because you're encrypting everything before it goes over, you're dealing with a pretty secure system. Yeah, that makes total sense. So simple. And and going forward with that too, um, Cosmos, I mean, I'm sure you guys have all heard about it by now, but interchain accounts are coming and interchain accounts are, are really cool. And what their goal is eventually is to, basically make it feel like you're interacting with the secret network, but without ever actually dealing with the secret network. Like you could send a request to our network and it would go straight through to the secret network or vice versa, which is really, really interesting. And it streamlines the process even further where you're not even needing to deal with one of the two networks. You're just using the products through each other. Doesn't it you, could, you could pretty much store the encryption stuff. Sorry, man. You could pretty much show the encryption stuff to your local files, right? And then you wouldn't have to like interact with secret unless you wanted to get the unencryption data again. Yeah, yeah, you can do that too. Um, it, it's really interesting. We, we've built ourselves in a way where you can have as many different front end technologies as you want. So we use secret network as our privacy front end, but theoretically you could build another front end over on Solana. And oh, it, I see. it wouldn't be very private because Solana doesn't have any privacy layer, but it, it's something you could do and it could bring that file tree structure to Solana and make it easy for somebody else Solana to use our system. Yeah, well, no, that's super smart. Even if you just wanted like some public data, something, you know. Yeah, and that, that's really 
interesting question you asked as well because you kind of unlocked a, a little bit of our business development idea when it comes to our ability to launch front ends anywhere. Um, although, depending on where you use it, depends on the security and privacy posture, but it really gains access and, and kind of explodes Jackal everywhere while still driving value capture back to our native token as well. Wow. Yeah, because like TikTok would be something where it's like you might not need privacy because it's like a public, large data, just lots of, you know, and so you could use Jackal, skip past the privacy stuff, but just like get that data. Yeah, you could you could use that back and theoretically anywhere, man. It's our, our peer-to-peer network and our, our chain is kind of protocol agnostic when it relates to front ends as long as we really stitch together the back end, which is the the interaction between the two is where it takes the most amount of work because there's a lot of yeah. to go into that, obviously. But um, the cool thing about it is you could launch a front end anywhere and it'll still drive value capture back down to the Jackal token. That's really cool. Yeah, man. You kind of just, yeah, I, I was going to basically just say the same thing, but that's, that's all. I, I can't wait for interchain for everything because it's going to be so fun. Uh, like I think it just adds a lot of value to Secret too, because there's so many things that like Secrets technology can make the the whole eco of Cosmos even better. Whether that's just like um, the governance and you know stuff file sharing, like you guys have, there's just so many cool things that that Interchain is going to bring, just at the at the level for Secret, and then you know everything else too. Whether that's like with NFTs that you can send from one chain to another. Like it's going to be a good time, and and um, I'm really looking forward to this whole transition. I think one day we're going to be those guys who are like, man, you remember when I had to have you know 17 different wallets, and I had to do this and do that, and you know, like it's going to be so much different. We're so early still, and I'm just excited to be like on this journey, and I'm glad that you know I got to meet you guys, and I've been a part of this, and I'm um, just looking forward to everything. So I'm I'm here always to help, and. I just appreciate the, you know, the people that are still in this space during a bear market and all that. And uh, yeah, man, cheers, guys, for sure. Yeah, no, th- thanks for coming out. Um, I guess this is a good time to kind of end it here. Um, thanks for coming, Haas. Uh, every Marston, everyone on the team that made it as well. Worker B, thanks for coming and asking questions. Man, that was just awesome to have someone to bounce ideas off of. For sure. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's exciting to hear what you guys got. Thank you guys for coming out. Yeah, uh, if anyone wants any other little bit of alpha or wants to ask us any questions, the Discord is the place to be. We also have a Telegram as well. Um, Feel free to reach out to us, and we're always here to answer any questions you might have. Thanks for coming out, everyone. Take care, everyone. Hey, Raiders suck. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Jackal AMA, hosted by Cosmos Haas, recorded on Monday, July 25th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. They say rapping is the gateway, bringing home great pain. Checking that replay, sing along and we say nobody gives a fuck around my way. I make about three bucks for every thousand plays, so add it up and do the math on that. Financially speaking, why the fuck would anybody want to rap? But in this reality, the money comes from doing shows, but then where's the money go when you can't do the shows? I guess you could rap on Cameo. I've been asking all my friends if I can rap on the patio. Six feet, mother. Motherfucker, step the fuck back Doing a little magic, pulling rabbits out the rucksack Not everybody's always in it for the money Looking like another crooked Sunday and I'm working Monday So you know I ain't stressing, left debating great methods Amazed to play Inception, the base stay blessed See, even with these huge sums of overall royalties Huge sums of money that go to the record label per playback Can seem insultingly small Many rights holders are making around three quarters of a
how to turn a profit, their future will always be in question. But for now, investors see enough potential to continue to fund pennies, 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 pennies. Another day, another lesson. Living in the eighth dimension might be worth a little mention. Living in the Great Depression, got a real regal feel. Reeling in another sucker fish, out to make a deal just to make a motherfucker wish. Ah shit, now you only got two left. You know what I wish? We didn't have any loose ends. You know what I miss? Listening to excuses. Now we're on the fence, like we forgot how to choose. That's what happens when people don't know what's true In the dark eating bullshit up like a mushroom In the lunchroom just trying to laugh it off Meanwhile foaming at the mouth like a rabid dog Like a fake mate and call at the zoo It's looking like the view is getting disappointing too I'm working on the new shit, trying to produce it It's what I'm willing to go through when I'm making my music Spaces.